sometimes when Katie and I are having discussions about something, we'll notice that the discussion gets more and more heated as it goes on. It doesn't really matter the topic in some instances. You know, it could be parenting husband or Hudson or how to prepare something in our house or what are we going to do about this family situation or what are we going to do about this ministry situation. It doesn't um, really matter the topic, um, but it can any topic can get heated uh, as we discuss it. And eventually we realized that this happened was happening because the other person didn't feel listened to. One person was sharing their thoughts, and then the other person was sharing their thoughts uh, without saying, like, okay, here's the things I understand and agree with about you, but it was just, like, each person was sharing their thoughts and perhaps pushing back, like, you know, what about, you know, I don't want to think about this, I think it should be this way, or, you know, well, you're saying that, but I think it should be this way, and we would keep sharing back and forth, but neither person felt listened to, and Katie one time realized, hey, neither of us are really showing that we understand the other person, um, or that we're affirming anything, like, we were just kind of pushing back, like, and we would maybe assume, like, yeah, I agree with most of what you said, but here's this little item I'd like to tweak. We would just say, here's the item I want to tweak. And we realized, wow, neither of us um, are, we just feel like the other person just disagreeing with us as we're sharing our own thoughts, and we didn't feel listened to or heard by the other person. And that brings us to a question, of, uh, and I'm sure many of you have maybe felt this way in a conversation. You walked away, like, I don't know if that person listened to me at all, or like, I was talking but it seemed to just be bouncing off and they kept, or they kept making it about them or you're like, they completely misunderstood what I said. Um, maybe you've had conversations, I'm sure you've had conversations like that, but um, as I mentioned, when Katie and I, this is happening, the conversation gets more and more heated and we get more and more frustrated with the other person. So there's like this deep need that we have for the other person uh, to listen to us. So the question I'd like us to, to think about um, is how do you feel when someone really listens to you? our handy whiteboard action. How do you feel when someone really listens to you? Loved. Loved. Respected. Important. Ooh, important. Affirmed. Affirmed. else? How do you feel when somebody really listens to you? Evaluated. What was that? Evaluated. Valued? Valued. Valuable. Valuable. Yeah, I mean that's is a deep desire in us and it makes sense because if this is the things that it makes us feel when we're listened to like you know how what's the opposite you know of all this stuff we're not going to write that down but the opposite like when we don't feel listened to like how do we feel like the opposite of all these things not really loved disrespected unimportant like you're not valuable um like i'm you know you're just not i don't really you're not really worth listening to and so you know keep these things in mind like this is how we feel when we're really listened to and this evening we're continuing our Beginning the Journey Home series in the book of Genesis. We've had a two-week break from it. We're still in the story of Abram, and God's plan is to bring blessing back to the world through Abram. He's, through Abram, God is bringing humanity back home. Our home was with God, um, but then we left it because we rebelled, rebelled against him, and now God is trying to bring humanity back home to himself. And we saw 
last week how Abram was struggling with the fact that even though God had promised him, saying, I'm going to make you into a great nation, Abram's struggling with that because he's like, well, I'm still childless and I'm still landless. Those are some of the requirements for being a great nation. How am I going to be a great nation if there's, I don't have any people and I don't have any land to call my own? And then in the midst of these doubts, God met Abram to reassure him that he is going to fulfill his promises. And God takes full responsibility to do so. And he said, but it's going to happen in my timing. And then Abram's uh, faith in God put him in right relationship with God. It says it's counted to him as righteousness. And this week, Abram isn't the focus of the story, even though he has been. The focus is on two women who find themselves in difficult situations where they need to trust God's will for them. And the big question this passage answers is, how does God accomplish his will in our lives? How does God accomplish his will in our lives? And you could say, I mean, you could even say, like, hey, how does God fulfill his promises in our life? Or um, how does God show his love in our lives? But we're going to answer, how does God accomplish his will in our lives? And this passage is going to break down into two scenes. And so let's start with the first scene, which is focused on Abram's wife, Sarai, in verses 1 through 6. Verse 1 introduces us to Sarai's difficult situation. It says this, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. That's her problem she has. That's her difficult situation. She wants to have kids. Abram wants to have kids. God has promised that they would have kids, but they still have no kids. And later on we learn, this has been 10 years since God made the promise, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make your fan, you know, give you... In, uh, throughout the way, he said, "You're going to family's going to be as numerous as the sand and the seashore, or the dust of the earth." And yet, he's like, ten years later, uh, God, we still don't have any kids. You know, so what's going on? What's the holdup here? And Sarah's looking at this situation too, and she's um, not liking it. And where does she turn to solve this problem? Well, look at the second half of verse one. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my servant, and maybe that I shall obtain children by her. And Sarai has a problem. She isn't pregnant, and God is to blame. God's prevented me from having kids, she says. And so she comes up with a solution apart from God. She wants Abram to sleep with her maidservant, Sarai. And this was a common practice during their time, you know, whether it was good or not, that it was a common practice during that time, and um, there's indicate, I would imagine that this is not how God intended it to be, because he said right back in Genesis 2, one man, one woman, they're to become one flesh, not you know, multiple people that you're trying to have children through. Um, but in that day, infertility, um, just like it is today, has always been a painful thing to bear. And in Sarai's day, women didn't have, like sometimes today, it's like, okay, well, um, there can be multiple ways. Like, at least I can't have kids, but at least I can have my career. Like, that doesn't take the pain away, but there's something else I'm doing with my time. But in that day, it's like women didn't have a career outside of the home. They, their success in life was, I'm going to provide children for my husband. And, that, and so as she's looking at her life, it's like, man, I can't even do the thing that I want to do the most. Um, and I'm just being prevented by doing it by God. Um, so she feels like, a failure and probably is even seen by a as a failure by other people. Maybe today we wouldn't look at someone who can't have kids as a failure, but um, people around her are like, hey, you know, this is what it means to be a woman and a wife, and you're not doing it. And it's like, um, so she could have been seen as a failure by others. And she longs to have a child and to be a mom, but is unable. And so it's this heartbreaking 
situation. It's painful for Abram too. He expressed it in Genesis 15. He expressed it to God and then God talked to him. And for Sarai, the pain is even more acute because she's saying, I'm the problem. I'm barren. I haven't been able to have the kids. But instead of turning to God, she turns to her own solution. She offers her servant to Abram to produce a child for them. And then the verse 2 says this, And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And so after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And these words, if you recall um, what Genesis 3 says, there's a deliberate echo of Genesis 3 here. Because what happens in Genesis 3, God tells Adam and Eve that deciding right and wrong for themselves uh, is not, that's off limits to them. And they're supposed to trust God, and their trust is demonstrated by not eating the fruit of defining good and evil for themselves. But in a moment of temptation from the serpent, a creature in rebellion against God, Eve sees the fruit, she takes some, and she gives it to her husband. And then when God confronts them, he tells Adam that his mistake was listening to the voice of his wife instead of the voice of God. And so then now what happens here? Sarai takes Hagar, gives, it, gives her to Abram. And then what does Abram do? It says he listens to the voice of his wife. And Abram and Sarai are repeating the unbelief and sin of their ancient ancestors, Adam and Eve. They're falling for the temptation of the serpent. Instead of trusting God, they're choosing their own way. And Sarai's looking at the situation and says, Look, Abram, it's been ten years since God made that promise to us about having kids, and he's prevented me from getting pregnant. Let's try our own way. And so the, this, this disease, this sickness that um, has come into us after Adam and Eve and has been passed down, they're struggling with the same thing. They're doing things that are off limits because of their unbelief. And I'm sure you can identify with Sarai's situation, frustrated by her circumstances, wondering if God's ever going to show up, doubting whether he will do what he said, thinking, God, you just don't have your eye on the ball here, and so I need to take it into my own hands. And so just ask, like, okay, think of that situation. What does Sarai need in this situation? Like, God, you're not doing what you said. I've been waiting a long time. What does she need in this situation? Like, what are some things she would need um, in her life? A lot of comfort. Comfort? Do you say love and comfort? Yeah, love and comfort. Like, she's feeling pretty alone and frustrated. Yeah, love and comfort. She wants all those things. Oh, nice. She wants all those things. So is there one you would pick out that you're like, okay, this one would really... I guess like that she's valuable. You're valuable? Validated. Because yep. if she's feeling like I'm a failure, like right. I can't have kids, like right. you're important. still yeah. valuable and important. Yeah, for sure. Patience comes to mind for me. Like, I've been waiting 10 years, and now it's time to try my way. We tried God's way. Let's try my way. Um, and if you think about those things, love and comfort, these things, or patience, or any other things, like which um, four Gs would give that to her? You know, the four Gs up here are, everyone can see them, I'll grab it. Um, which four Gs you know, would give those things to her, or which four Gs um, does she just need to believe in general in this situation? that would help her respond appropriately. 
That is great because she doesn't need to be in control because she is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's taking control of the situation, so she needs to believe you're great, you're in control, I don't need to be. Yeah. That is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself as far as like being a woman and a yeah. wife. Yeah, I have to like prove I'm valuable and important. And, but yeah, no, God's gracious and He loves me and I don't have to prove myself, yeah. How she's perceived by people in her community or culture um, and believing that God is glorious. So then she doesn't have to fear that they're going to judge her. Mm -hmm. Like his, his opinion of her matters more than having to prove herself to him. Yeah, so maybe, I mean, it doesn't say it, but she could be like, we got to have a kid because people are looking down on me. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, yeah, but God's glorious. You don't have to be afraid of other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going to put this back up, but if you, anybody had a different one? Well, I mean, you could say God is good. You could say all of them, but God is good. Mm -hmm. She's finding her satisfaction in having kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, instead of looking to, I need kids to be satisfied in life or happy or whatever. It's like, well, I have God. Kind of like what uh, God told Ab Abram back in chapter 15. I'm your shield. You know, yeah, like, it's like, I, you, he's our refuge. Like, we can go to him, and he's the one who satisfies us and makes us feel safe. Yeah. But we're turning to our big question. Um, how does God accomplish his will in our lives? The first answer is God's will is accomplished in God's timing and in God's power. God's will is accomplished in God's timing and in God's power. God's will is accomplished in God's timing and in God's power. And God's will for Sarai, we already know it, is that she's going to be pregnant, and then she's going to make her family into a great nation and bring blessing to the whole world. We know that's God's will for her. But it's going to happen in His timing, according to His schedule, and it's going to happen in his power. It's not going to be by her control, her effort, her works, what she can do to make it happen. It's going to come through God's power. And he's going to let her become pregnant at the right time. But the great lie of the serpent, who we later know as Satan, is that God is against us. He convinced Adam and Eve that God was holding out on them, that he didn't have their best interests in mind, that they'd be better off getting out from under his authority and doing it their own way. And, and Sarah, I believe, is the same here. You know, God has prevented me from getting pregnant. We've been waiting for 10 years for him to do this. Now let's do it our way because he's not giving me what I want, so I'm going to go through a different way because God doesn't have a good plan for my life. He doesn't have my best interests in mind. But what are the results? Look at verse 4. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Sarai's plan works. Uh, Hagar becomes pregnant, and now they have this kid on the way. But is she any happier? Is she like, My life is great now? No. Trying to go around God didn't lead her to happiness. It actually led to more pain and anger because Hagar gets pregnant, but then she looks down on Sarai. Literally, Sarai becomes small in her eyes. 
Um, and it's pretty cruel to treat an infertile woman like you're better than her because you can get pregnant. Uh, and then Sarai lashes out at Abram, and then she basically pronounces this curse on Abram. May the Lord judge between you and me. And then Abram's like, well, Hagar's in your control. Do with her what you'd like. And then she is so abusive to her that then Hagar runs away. And these results reflect what happened back in Genesis 3. There's blame. There's curse. There's broken relationships. And Sarai's godless solution, even though it works, leads to a broken family. All, you know, separation in, in all regards here. And like Sarai, we too can believe that God is against us. God, you say you love me, but why is life so hard? God, you say you're there for me, but why aren't you taking away my sickness and my hardship and my pain? Why is it hard to pay the bills? Why are things at work so hard? Why are my kids rebelling? Why are things in my marriage so hard? Why are things with my extended family so hard? God, why aren't you fixing all of this stuff? And in those situations, we need the same things that Sarai needed. We need to believe the truth about God. We talked about the four uh, the four G's, which are those we need to believe and what does Sarah need in that situation? How are those given to her? And Sarah has been waiting for 10 years and so she makes her own plans. But even when God isn't working according to our schedule, we need to trust his timing and his power to fulfill his will in our life and his promises in our life and not look elsewhere. And parents, isn't it true? You know, or even if you're you know, not a parent and you think about, wow, what did my uh, parents what have my parents been teaching me? Slash, what have I realized now that they're really wise for teaching me? And isn't it true that kids don't always appreciate or understand what's being done in their lives? Um, not appreciating, like, I don't, I'm, don't like that I'm having to do my homework. I don't like that I have a curfew. I don't like that I'm not allowed to watch that movie. Or I don't like this. I don't understand it. I don't understand, you know, especially little kids. Why aren't you buying everything I grab off the shelf at Walmart because I want it? You know, they don't understand or appreciate the fact that, well, if I bought you everything you wanted, I couldn't give you food or a house or clothes. I need to have money so I can pay for those things too. Maybe being annoyed about watching certain movies or TV shows. I remember when I was in middle school, my mom was like, you are not watching Austin Powers. If any of you know that show, you know that that was a good choice by my mom. But I was annoyed by it, and I tried to convince her, can I please watch this? It's okay, there's not that many bad scenes. But now when I think about my son watching it, I'm like, no way is he watching that show. But you know, in, that, in the moment, I'm like, I don't like this rule. I don't like that you're doing this. But then later in time, we learn, like, well, that was actually a good choice. And if this is true of earthly parents and their kids, how much more true is it of our heavenly father with his children? We don't always understand or appreciate why he makes us wait and why he tells us no or why he doesn't take away hard things in our life. But we, what we can do is trust that he's good and that he's wise and he has our best interests in mind. And parents, wouldn't it be great if your kids said to you, well, I, don't only, I don't fully understand why you're doing this, mom or dad, but I trust that you know what's better, best for me um, and, I know, and you know better than me. Wouldn't that be great? And that's how we're supposed to be responding to God. You know, it looks, you know, it shows that the same sin patterns kind of don't go away as adults. They just kind of go away, come up in different forms because we're still saying to God, I'm mad at you for not giving me everything I want and my timing, you know, when I want it, where I want it, from whom I want it. And you know, we, we want to be in charge. Yeah, we want to be in charge. We, we always want to be in charge no matter what age we are. We need to submit to God. Well, the next scene focuses on Hagar, and the camera moves from Abram and Sarai and follows Hagar, who has run away. In this scene, we learn an extremely important truth about God for each of us to remember. And so verse 7 says this, 
The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water, the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And throughout this scene, just notice what God does with Hagar. First he seeks her, and then he finds her. Like, isn't that just cool? Like he found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. Um, and this spring is on the route back to Egypt. Hagar is an Egyptian, and so she's returning to her homeland. And next God addresses her by name and asks her a question. Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she answers that question with the short story. I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarai. But what's Hagar's full story? <coughs> you remember back in Genesis 12 when there's this famine and Abram's like, we've got to go down to Egypt to escape this famine. And when he's down there, he's like, hey, the Egyptians are going to kill me to take you from me, Sarai, because you're a beautiful woman. They're going to kill me to take you from me. So say you're my sister so it can go well for me. So they do that. Abram's plan works. It goes well for him. The Egyptians praise him. They're like, whoa, you know your sister is so great and so beautiful. Like, we're going to give you all this stuff. And one of the things they give him is female servants from Egypt. And so this is where Hagar comes from. She's acquired by Abram because of a time in his life when he was tr struggling to trust God and decided, you know what, I'm going to make my own plan. I'm going to trust my own control, my own ways. And then his plan works. And then he acquires this Egyptian slave girl who then later on, you know, there's all these problems that get caused by her. So that's her full story. And so she enters this family through because Abram was struggling to trust God. And now she's on the run because Sarah does the same, same thing, is struggling to trust God. And what does God do next? Does he say, well, I'm glad you escaped from her. She was being a jerk, you know, good for you. No, he tells her, return to your mistress and submit to her. God sends her back to her difficult situation. She just got out of it, and God says, no, go back and submit to this difficult situation. And God says more to her. She says, I'm going to multiply your offspring. You're pregnant. Your son's going to be named Ishmael, um, and I've listened to your affliction. But, you know, he's going to be uh, a wild donkey of a man. He's going to kind of, you wanted to be independent from Sarai. You know, well, your son's going to have that independence, but he's going to be so independent that he's going to have a lot of conflict with other people, and then we're told that Hagar bore Abram a son. Um, they named him Ishmael. She you know, returns back, and Abram was 86 years old. And Hagar, this promise God gives her, Hagar's the only woman in the Old Testament to get a promise like this. She's just this slave girl from Egypt, acquired because Abram lied about Sarai being his wife, and now God is speaking to her directly con concerning promises about her son, but it's not all rainbows and roses. You know, she says he's going to have some difficult time because he's going to be try to be super independent. Um, but now she at least knows. Well, I'm going to live through this treatment that Sarah's doing to me long enough to give birth, and my son's going to be fine too. He's going to grow up to be an adult, and so that can reassure her. And the big question this passage answers is: How does God accomplish His will in our lives? And the second answer is: God's will is accomplished in the midst of suffering. God's will is accomplished in the midst of suffering. God has a plan for Hagar and her son, but it doesn't mean no suffering, no hardship, and no pain. In fact, God sends her back to her suffering and hardship. She just got free of it. I mean, you could argue like that was her source of uh, basically protection and food and shelter, and so God's maybe doing her a favor. She could have maybe made it back to Egypt, but a woman alone traveling to Egypt, not a great situation. Abram's her source of protection, so that's one thing. But he sends her back 
to her hardship. He, and often we can be like Hagar. We try to run from suffering. We try to get as far from hardship and pain and difficulties and discomfort as possible because we believe God's will for us is that he doesn't want to suffer ever. And so he wants us to get out of difficult situations. But then when he isn't relieving our trials, we get mad at him and we say, well, God, where are you? Why aren't you helping me? Why aren't you taking this away? Why are you putting me through this? And with Hagar, we need to remember what's true of God in our suffering and hardship. And so as Hagar is walking back, God says, go back to her. So as she's walking the road back to Sarai, which of the four G's does she need to believe? And she's walking the road back to Sarai. Yeah, there's kind of like a, God's, you know, the biggest one in the world, not in terms of size, but like he's bigger than Sarai, um, so don't fear her. I mean, there might be a legitimate fear in terms of safety, but uh, yeah, what you know, he's God's bigger than than you, Sarai. She took control when she ran away, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's like. Sarah is kind of like her employer, and Abram is too, and then she like ran away from them. So, yeah, she's taking control, and so going back, it trusting God's also control. also fears her, mis- her um, Sarah. Mistress Sarah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can imagine, like, she's walking back, like, God, I just got out of this situation because it's not great. Uh, and then going back, she's like, okay, you're telling me to go back. God is great, so I don't have to be in control. Like, you've got this handle. You've told me what to do. Yeah. Any other ones? <clears throat> well, Hagar shares with us what comforts her as she walks back. She actually gives the Lord a name in verse 15. She says, You are a God of seeing. Truly here I've seen him who looks after me. And then she names the place Bir Lahai Roy, which means the well of the living one who sees me. And then her son is going to be named Ishmael, which means God hears, because God said in verse 11 that he has listened to her affliction. So as she's walking back, these are the things that are comforting her um, she's walking back to Sarai like, okay, you're the God who sees me. You've listened to my affliction. It's not like you've been, like, you know, it never gets to his ears. God's like, no, I've heard your affliction. And, like, I'm sending you back still. This is my will for your life. And what does Hagar learn about God? She's running away from home, but God seeks her and finds her and listens to her and sees all that she's going through. And then he looks after her. And she doesn't deserve any of this. Hagar was no angel in the situation. She um, looks down on her mistress who's not able to get pregnant. She looks down on her because, you know what, I'm able to get pregnant and you're not. And she, be, Sarah becomes small in her eyes, so Hagar's no angel, but God does this out of grace. He seeks her and finds her anyway. And so maybe for just a moment, think, you know, what hardships and pain and trials and difficulties do you have going on in your life right now? Do you have a difficult family situation, difficult work situation, 
difficult school situation, difficult parenting situation, difficult friend situation. What sort of hard situations do you have going on in your life? Um, and are you running from them? Are you avoiding them? Are you saying, like, that's hard, I just want to get away from it, I just want to ignore it, I just want to put it in the corner, put it in the closet, and not think about it, um, and you're running from it. And God might be sending you back to it, especially if there's something you need to make right. Um, and often God, I, I don't know, I'm not going to say never, I'm going to say often God wants us to go back to our difficult situations because there's something for us to do in those, there's some way to represent them. If we're running from it, we're probably not representing what he's like he, most often will send us back to it. I mean, there's situations where it wouldn't be, like, I have an abusive husband and I'm fearful for my life. I would never say God is sending you back to that situation. But, you know, there's situations, uh, most situations God is sending you back to that you're running from. And here's the good news as you do that. Know that God hears, sees, and looks after you. So you think about those situations <coughs> that God is most likely sending you back into. Um, know that God hears, sees, looks after you. And we welcome God into our lives by trusting in Jesus. We're never alone. He never leaves us or forsakes us. And I was listening to a series of podcasts recently, and it made this point, and Emma said it right away, when you feel heard, you feel loved. That was what this people in this podcast were saying. When you feel heard, you feel loved. And when no, nobody knows what we're going through, it feels sad and lonely, and the hardship feels just too much for us to bail out an impossible burden. But whatever we're facing, we can be assured that God loves us. He hears us. He sees us. And he's looking after us. And when God isn't operating according to our time schedule or isn't taking away our difficulties in life, we shouldn't take it as a sign that God is against us or that he doesn't love us or that he's forgotten about us or doesn't care about us. Because the truth is that God is more interested in fixing you than fixing your problems. He's more interested in, in changing you than he is in changing your situation. Because the truth is, we're our biggest problem. Our heart and our life needs to be reformed um, to trust in God and put our faith in Him and to have our character molded and shaped. And that requires um, sending us and putting us through hard things. Because God is in the business of changing us and often uses hard things in our life to do it. And if you think about a surgeon, um, a person... <coughs> You know, a person with a knife who has bad motives is a murderer and is going to kill people and harm people. But a surgeon with a knife, it's called a scalpel, and they use it to bring healing. And it's painful but necessary. And God is the master surgeon who uses difficult circumstances in our lives to change our hearts and to heal us in the deepest way possible. So even though it hurts, just like a surgeon's scalpel hurts, the surgeon's scalpel is intended to bring healing and wholeness and transformation, just like God uses painful circumstances in our life. And Hagar's running from home, and if you think about it, we're all runaways from home. We're all running away from God before he comes and finds us, and for he seeks us and finds us and brings us back and convinces us of his love. And um, just as we, we see when Jesus talks about his miss, mission, he says, I've come to seek and save the lost. And so all of us have trusted in Jesus. Jesus came and sought us, and he saved us, and he brought us back home. And you think about the story of the prodigal son. If you've never read that story, um, Luke 16, I believe, um, you just see the father's love for his son who's coming back home, and he runs out and embraces him, and embar embarrasses himself in the amount of love um, and 
uh, in the amount of he doesn't care for the rituals and you know being showing being like respectful or whatever. Like, no, I'm the father, and so I have to act a certain way. He just like embarrasses himself and how he throws his love on his son. And when Jesus brings us back home, he gives us a family to listen to us, um, to see what's going on in our lives and what we're going through, and to look after us. And we're Jesus' body on earth, living as a family together, and we don't have to go it alone. When we have difficult circumstances, you know, God meets us, Jesus meets us through his spirit in other people. And so we can be know that God sees us and hears us and is looking after us when we look in after each other and we see each other's difficulties and listen to them. So if you're carrying a burden, you know, all of us, I know we share with each other a lot, but if there's a burden you're carrying all by yourself, um, bring Jesus into it by telling somebody else in this family about it. And then, you know, for the person listening, um, when someone shares their hardship or, or struggles with you, we can love as a servant by being a good listener. Serve the other person. Don't think, how am I going to get my word in? How am I going to serve myself? When do I get to share? But love as a servant um, by being a good listener. Engage. Ask questions. Don't make it about you. Don't say, you know, I went through a circumstance like this, you know, back 20 years ago. And now let me tell you the story about that. No, you know, you don't need, they don't need to hear that. They don't need to hear like, you know, I've been through this, so I know what you're going through. They seem to be listened to. And two of uh, the most helpful words, um, best words you can say to anybody are, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this word or if we're, maybe I shouldn't say it. I'll say it this way. That stinks. You know, the other word you could say is a different word that vacuums do. But, so, um, <laughs> just say, you know, say that stinks. You know, that sounds, that sounds really hard, really difficult. We don't have to find the silver lining. We don't have to share our experience. And we don't have to try and fix the problem. The best thing you can say to people is, that stinks. That sounds really hard. I'm really sad you're having to go through that. And listen, ask another question. Like, what do you, what do you need from me? You know, and it's okay to sit and Say, that really stinks. And then Jesus also sends us out as messengers to seek and find those who are running from home with God, just like God did with Hagar, and just like Jesus did with us. And you know what a great first step in convincing somebody that God loves them is? Be a good listener. Because how much does God listen to us? Think about how, how many hours of your life have you spent talking to God, praying for Him, asking for Him for things, telling Him things. God listens to us. And so listen to other people like God listens to you. This is what God does for us. This is how he convinces Hagar that, you know, Hagar just has this amazing experience. And she's like, you're the God who sees me. You're the God who listens to me. And all these things she does to like commemorate it, her life is changed. And we convince God, people that God loves them by us listening to them. And I was thinking, um, as I was thinking about this concept, I was like, has this been true in my life? And I was thinking about, I mean, you all know that I, or most, I'm sure you probably know that I work at Starbucks a lot, not as a barista, <laughs> doing my work. This happened to me. People are like, oh, I'm going to Starbucks to work. What? You're a barista? No. Sorry, I, uh, I drink coffee there, and I work on other things. Uh, but there's been, I was thinking about, there's been at least three people uh, at this point that I can think of who have said to me, like, when does your church meet? I like to visit sometime. And you know how many times I brought up the topic of them visiting our church? zero. All I've done is ask some questions and listen to them and showed interest and then followed up later. I mean, the baristas, it takes a long time. They're busy making drinks and I'll just talk to them as they're making drinks if it's not very busy. And then in the winter, I would sit up by the bar where they 
work because the, the little oven let off heat, and so that was nice. And, you guys all, and I was like, this is great. And then they talk to me when they're like getting stuff out. And then the one girl who told me one time, she's like, I'm not into you know organized religion. She had all these reasons. I don't know, maybe like six months later, she's like, you know, I want to I want to come visit sometime. I mean, that's been like two months ago, but. It, I didn't bring it up with her. She wanted to do it um, because of just the way I treated her. Um, and so if you think about how you're approaching conversations with people and hoping, like, I just want them to know God. I want them to know God's love for them. Um, I'd say think about listen 90% of the time and talk 10% of the time or maybe even less um, in your conversations with people. Um, because when we feel heard, we feel loved. And when we feel loved, we're willing to listen. Because if somebody's like, I don't know, all you're doing is coming and like telling me all this stuff um, that I don't really care about and I don't really trust religion, I don't trust pastors, I don't trust churches, I don't trust Christians, and now you're just telling me all this stuff? It's like, yep, this is all the reasons I want to turn off. Um, and not saying that God can't use. Um, you just saying like, hey, do you know, you know, Jesus loves you and died for you? Of course, that's the only way someone can come to faith. You have to tell them about Jesus, you can't only listen. Um, the Bible says somebody comes to faith by hearing the gospel. Um, but we can show people, um, this is, you know, I love you. This is the way God loves you. Um, he cares enough to show you all these things. Because don't you think this is true of people, that they want to feel loved, respected, important, affirmed, valued, and valuable? Um, and our world is very bad at listening. And that's why so many people pay for therapists and counselors. They need someone to listen to them, someone to listen to their problems. Um, to show they care and they're important and talk through it with them. Um, and so we can show that same love to people. And then, and if it's, uh, and then we think, like, well, I need to share the gospel with them. It's the only way they'll believe. And I agree. Um, but if you listen for 90% and talk 10%, then you can share like this custom fit, personalized, good news about Jesus that speaks right into their situation of their life. Instead of, you know, let me talk 90% and kind of get in my pulpit and then like, you know, what do you think about that last 10%? Like, eh, I don't know, I'm uncomfortable, I need to leave. Um, and maybe that wouldn't happen, but um, maybe it would. But imagine if we were a community extremely good at listening to one another um, and to those who don't yet know Jesus. That would be transformative. And just to close on a, a story, when I, I was trying to look in my journals to find out when this was so I could give you the exact timeline and situation, but... There's a sometime in like the last year where I was feeling kind of discouraged. I was like, man, God, like, you know, we moved out here and our desire is to like, you know, bring people to know Jesus and um, bring them into a loving community. And like, I just don't understand why this isn't going um, the way I want it to go. Um, and often, you know, that's usually indicates you're in a bad place. <laughs> it's like, why is this going how I want to go, how I want it to go, God? But I was on my way to meet um, a mentor, Cabot. Some of you met him in Spring Grove. And I'm slightly late, and I'm behind this big truck, and I'm like, it's going below the speed limit, and I'm like, I just need to get around this truck, and I can't pass it, can't get around <coughs> it, I'm like, please speed up. And then I'm like, oh, this is how I feel about my life right now. God, I want to be going faster, and you're like this big truck blocking my way. I just wish I could pass you. I wish you would speed up, and, but I'm stuck behind you going at the pace you want me to go, and I'm frustrated by it. And I'm sure you've had a similar experience. God's going too slow. You want to get around him. You want to go faster. You want this hard thing in your life to be over. Please, God, I'm asking you to take it away. Please just let it be over. And you feel like you're buying this big truck. And in those moments, we need to trust that, sure, God's the big truck. 
But where he's driving is a good place, and he calls us, trust me and follow me, trust my timing. I'm going to get you there in my pace, and I'm bringing you to a good place. Um, please just trust me and follow me, um, and let go. Please stop being frustrated behind the wheel. You know, just, just rest in what I'm doing and follow me in it. Let's pray. Father, thanks for being a God who sees, God who hears, God who looks after us. That's something we all deeply desire to know that we're cared for and valued and loved. And so would you help us to receive that from you and would you also help us to give it to other people. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.